gay people love puns. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. Well, this book causes Satanism. What is left for us to rant about? There is nothing straight about Plum Velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about Harry Potter! Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a humorous yet ruthless podcast where two queer IRL witches read Harry Potter and talk about it. I am America's favorite Griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Griffin Dyke extraordinaire, Jesse Blount. And today we are talking about the second half of chapter 24, Regis Skeeter's Scoop, in which uh, Hagrid is still ghosting everyone, which is exactly how I would respond, to be honest. <laughs> um, Harry's pretty worried, but he's figured out that maybe he could see Hagrid and Hogsmeade potentially drinking her troubles away. And also a reason not to think about the egg. Uh, Hagrid is not there because Harry's too young to know that this is a drinking alone in your hut listening to Stevie Nicks or Ian DeFranco or something. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, anyway, Harry and the gang end up staying at the Three Broomsticks just in time to, to observe the shady dealings of one little bagman. More foreshadowing. And for Hermione to get into Rita Skeeter's crosshairs, um, in a rage after her meeting, Hermione's like, we're not letting Hagrid hide anymore. And they run over to Hagrid. Dumbledore is there, consoling Hagrid, giving her, sh- giving her shockingly good advice and not letting her resign from her job. We're reminded that Hagrid's dad, sexual freak that he is, was in fact a really good dad and raised his kid right. And Harry finds himself in a wave of guilt after lying to Hagrid about the egg, which is enough for him to get over his pride and take Cedric's advice. Yep. Um, before we get into it, two things. First, Odie and Mayel, thank you so much for the donations that you left us. We're very grateful. Two, it feels like just yesterday that I was saying this, but apparently it's been a whole year. It's time for you to send us your gender and sexuality questions for our Pride Month advice episode. So please get those to us by June 1st so that we have time to, you know, record the episode and get it out to you for Pride. That's it. With that, I uh, we're going to start things off with today's headlines. Ironic. Person who wrote, never be ashamed. There's some that'll hold it against you, but they're not worth bothering with. Now spends all of her free time bothering people for being who they are. <sighs> yeah, I, I was, I feel like I was thinking about that. Because uh, I was thinking about how Dumbledore gives shockingly good advice in this chapter. And I think mm-hmm. I've mentioned before how much I love the whole choosing between what is right and what is easy quote. When, in fact, Scoundrel JKR is doing the easy thing and not the right thing. And I'm just like, Ugh. I would argue that she is both choosing what is hard and what is wrong. Because the easy thing would be to shut up. Just shut up. She's like, no, I want to make things incredibly difficult for myself while intentionally doing the wrong thing. I mean, that's probably more real. Ugh, just what a garbage person. Anyway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Just goes to show, you know, a work of art can be better than its creator. And sometimes you just, you know, just because you make something that is uh, good does not make you the author ethically correct morally correct (laughs) exactly (laughs) yep all right so we're gonna turn to the front page where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else all right um harry's evasion about the egg both in telling everyone that he's like figuring it out when he's not is very familiar to me as a not homework doing adhd person <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i got it under control it's totally fine i reader i did not under control. <laughs> so i'm like oh harry <laughs> yeah um that connects really well to my first thing which is that this is i think my favorite thing that hermione has ever done by which i mean pretending that she doesn't know that harry is lying and just being like, oh, have you really well done? And I was just moving on as like real, 
really convinced Hermione would be like, oh my god, tell me everything. You know, she would want to know. Hermione knows that he's full of it, and she's just like, I'm gonna let him go with that. Whatever. And I'm like, yes, Hermione. Thank you. This is such a good choice. I hope I hope Hermione is spending that mental energy that she would be spending trying to help Harry figure out the the egg with like I don't know, trying to figure out the correctly worded things to say and like love notes to Victor is really yeah. important for her. Yeah. I love the part where she brings it up again after Harry's talked to Ludo and she's like, Besides, you already worked it out, didn't you? And Harry's <laughs> like, Yes, and she's like, Great. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. <laughs> beautiful um i feel like this is not actually funny but i'm still amused by harry being like yeah after christmas he found what appeared to be a tiny toy arm under his bed (laughs) (laughs) for more presumably ron had just ripped all of the limbs off of his uh victor crumb toy (laughs) i think it's funny why is it not funny i don't know I I guess I just feel like sometimes people don't find uh, cis dudes being angry amusing. And I just, that's why I want to preface that before I said that I think it's actually, that this is actually very funny. I mean, he broke his own, his own things seemingly in private. So I'm like, if you want to like take out your anger by smashing your own shit in a non-threatening way by yourself... Great. I feel like that's like going to one of those places where you get to like smash a TV or like going out break back and like breaking some bottles. Like that's a healthy expression of anger if you're, you know, not directing it at anyone or like doing it in a way where people are like feeling intimidated. So Harry is like so baffled by the idea that Ludo Bagman would be at the three broomsticks on a weekend where there wasn't a triwizard judging and i'm like okay there's like three bars in the entire (laughs) witching uk and it's the weekend as you have pointed out harry and he is a grown adult it is two of the three bars are in hogsmeade there's one in diagon alley like this is a perfectly normal activity for a grown man to do on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> you, you know, the, this is such an excellent point. I wonder if Harry just doesn't notice that there are other adults that aren't people who just live in Hogsmeade. You know, I wondered that too. I was like, Ludo might have been there like all the fucking time. Like previous to Harry knowing him, he wouldn't have noticed him. Yeah, he wouldn't have known who this rando is. So, yeah. This is very funny. That's why it's so crowded. It's like everyone is there. We're yeah, else not that go? many people live in Hogsmeade. It's a very small town. Yeah. Speaking of Ludo and betting along those lines, <laughs> I think if you were betting that Percy has in fact axe murdered Crouch, and you like hadn't read this book at this point, you'd be feeling pretty good to be like Percy totally murdered this dude. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is Ron finally says out loud that that Percy's probably poisoning Crouch. And I was like, it's about time someone brought this up because. And I mean, you know, Ron should know. Ron has lived with Percy his entire life. He would definitely know what kind of how ambitious Percy is. And given how chaotic the ministry is, that job might go to him. (laughs) Like, (laughs) if Crouch wasn't there. Like. I don't remember what Percy ends up doing in the next book, but I'm just kind of like, I mean, he might be right. Yeah, totally. So. Yup. All right. So kind of hearkening back to the discussion we were having about the headline, uh, we get this, I think, really lovely example of how Harry is a really good person in this chapter, because I just think that the way that he responds to Ludo really reflects on Harry's character. He's like, this feels super wrong. And also, are you also trying to help Cedric? Like, it would be super, like, it's fucked up for you to be offering to help me. But like, if you are going to offer to help me, 
you should at least also be offering to help the other Hogwarts champion. Um, even though he like hates Cedric right now, you know? And I'm just like, yeah, some good morals on you, kid. Good job. Okay, so I have a question for you. Do you think Harry would have been more likely to accept any of Ludo's advice if he had been like, oh yeah, I am also talking to the Diggory kid because I want Hogwarts specifically to win? Hmm. Because I have to admit, I'm kind of leaning towards probably still not because I feel like Ludo saying that he's not helping Cedric was kind of like the nail in the coffin for Harry to be like, no thanks, I'm good. I'm real good. Nope. I feel I feel like he wouldn't, but I think that he well, okay. Cedric would also have turned down Ludo's offer of help. So the only way that that conversation could have gone would have been that like Ludo was like, "Yes, I offered to help him, but like he didn't take me up on it." Mm-hmm. In which case, Harry would have been like, "I also am not taking you up on it." You know, cuz I don't think there's any world in which Cedric is like, "Yes, I will accept your help, Ludo Bagman," you know, cuz yeah, he's also course. like a very good person. Yeah. Huh. That actually, I guess that actually brings to mind, like, do you, like, is such a, the kind of person who's, like, asking all his friends to be like, what the fuck does this sound like? Or is he, like, in the library trying to, you know, is he, like, is Cedric also getting help, more help than Harry is? Because I feel like when you don't have as much childhood trauma as Harry has, I feel like you're probably asking for help feels much easier, <laughs> I'm assuming. I think that Cedric heard the directions that were stated, which is you can't get help from teachers and is like, my peers are not teachers. And so is getting help from his peers. Yes. Yeah. Um, Which just like Harry filtered as no help at all. And so now he thinks he's cheating when he gets help from Ron and Hermione, which is like, I mean, help from Ron, but when he gets help from Hermione. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's funny. He's like, it feels like cheating getting it from Ludo if it was as opposed to like Sirius or Ron or Hermione and it's like you could ask Sirius or Ron or Hermione for help but you did not right or <laughs> Neville Neville <laughs> the, one, the one with the answer yeah <sighs> yeah all right I think it's your turn all right have you ever, have you ever seen the original movie Scream I'm assuming you have not but no I don't watch scary movies okay all right, because I feel like Rita Skeeter's look in this chapter, uh, where she has these bright yellow robes and uh, what I'm imagining is hot pink nail polish and just some random photographer following next to her. It's giving very like 90s pantsuit kind of ambulance chaser reporter kind of vibe like like mm. from like that I think reminds me of the 90s which i guess this is taking place in the 90s that would make sense but like if rita was a muggle she'd be in a matching pantsuit and like four inch heels which she probably is also in four inch heels as soon as you said that i imagined it actually being a a jumpsuit and i think that maybe jesse on uh Saved by the Bell wore a bright yellow jumpsuit with a hot pink manicure. You could also be thinking about April from the Ninja Turtles, who definitely iconically wore a yellow jumpsuit and was a reporter. Yeah. Is that, is that, is that what I'm thinking of? That might be what you're thinking yeah. of, actually. <laughs> I was like, it's Gail Weathers from Scream. And I'm like, oh, no, it's April from the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> And also, just no matter what, what an excellent ensemble. Yellow is a really hard color to pull off for a lot of people, and I have no doubt that Rita Skeeter is rocking the fuck out of this yellow outfit. Yeah. I bet her heels are bright pink that match her nail polish. I was just about to say that, because, like, you know the heels match. Yeah. And, of course, she's wearing heels, because it's Rita Skeeter. <laughs> she, yeah. is, she does not leave her house looking anything less than, like, a bad bitch. So. Right. Exactly. <sighs> Which is really too bad that she's an uh, actual despicable person. <laughs> Look, you know what? Even terrible people can have excellent aesthetics. I mean, that's the part of the reason why I like villains. <laughs> <laughs> uh, show me a villain with a terrible aesthetic. I mean, and there are some out there, don't get me wrong. Anyway. Okay, so... This is my last thing, and it's just that Harry makes an incredible pun in this chapter, 
When he's talking to Ludo, he's like, I've almost figured out the egg. Don't worry about it. A couple more days should crack it. Oh, I didn't even notice. (laughs) I'm so glad you brought it to my attention. How did I miss that? Uh, uh, I just have a couple different. I have like two things left. Okay. Just, okay. Number one, just the never ending crying emojis about the like letters from past students to Hagrid to be like Dumbledore, don't fire her. And then like Hagrid showing the trio, like a photo of her and her dad. And it's just like, my God. I know. (sighs) And just my last thing is that, I mean, I love the like, never be ashamed of who you are from Hagrid's dad, obviously you know, good guy in that regard. But I'm also like, yeah, this is also from the person who likes to fuck giants. So, I mean, I guess that's also just really good advice. That <laughs> uh, does not in any way discount the validity. No, of it does advice, not. Though. I'm just like, yeah, like that is the exact correct stance you would take if people would be like, how are you alive? How do you have a half giant child? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love it. Yes, me too. Welcome to the education section where we talk about this goddamn school. I'm going to talk about Dumbledore being good here, even though we are talking about this goddamn school. Yeah. I think we talk a lot about Dumbledore's faults on this podcast, but I also think that people love Dumbledore for a reason. I love a lot of things about Dumbledore. I think that his overall sort of vibe is one that's very welcoming and very warm and probably makes people feel really good to be around. And I think that in general, his his morals are good, but his methods are not. Very similar to the mage in Carry On. And... I just really love the way that he's handling this whole situation with Hagrid. I love the way that he's supporting her. I love the way that he's interacting. Every time one of the kids like slips up and says something that they feel like they shouldn't say in front of an adult in the entire series, the way that Dumbledore replies where he's just like, I heard nothing. What is (laughs) so great. I just, I just find him very charming and, um, like a really good role model honestly in these in these circumstances yeah i yes i i agree to i agree to things you're saying and i think that i think that this is sort of showing the best side of dumbledore is what we're getting here it's kind of like he's sort of at his most giles-y and i Mm. say that because like giles is sort of uh nerdy bookish caring persona like that is something he created out of being ripper who was in a lot of ways the complete opposite of all those things and still giles still has that core of sort of ruthless pragmatism that comes out for good or for bad as we find out later in buffy Mm -hmm. um and i think that dumbledore is similar where once we get like once you get a lot of his backstory of like him being this like very pretentious genius type and then kind of realizing the error of his ways and his ways of thinking has sort of constructed out of that this much more or like you know even maybe just like from even just like you know maturing is now sort of at this like caring accepting place in his life where he's like even able to get this kind of advice and this is really him at his best and like sort of the flip side, worst side of it is him just still being a, a manipulative, tight-lipped bastard. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And some of the, like, tight-lipped, manipulative bastard stuff is, like, really hard to swallow. And, like, a, and a lot of times does outshine a lot of his, like, caringness. But I think specifically in this chapter, like, this is, like, this and the, like, such a diggery speech at the end of this book is, like, peak, I think. Good Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Yes to everything you just said. I just want to say, what did you say? His ruthless pragmatism is a turn of phrase that I, like, you said that and I was like, oh my god, that is, like, so good. And I just want <laughs> it, it to be, like, noted that that is, like, such perfect phrasing for 
Dumbledore's sort of vibe of how he problem solves. Yeah. Um, just kudos. Thank that you. That was beautiful. Dumbledore would have made an excellent slash terrible watcher. Let's be real. Totally. <laughs> yes. Um, I want to... I've been sitting with something for like a little while and I think part of it is some stuff that Frankie brought up when she was on and she was talking about Dumbledore and, but also I've seen it a lot. Like I think because of Fantastic Beasts giving more of the like Dumbledore Grindelwald backstory where people are like, Oh, Dumbledore is a villain. He's always been a villain. Like he was like, he was like fucking this fascist when he was young. And I think that in combination with the fact that I've been updating our like JK Rowling firing guide and to that end, I was like, I'm going to try really hard to define what canceling is. And in doing so, I was like, I think it's judging a person for a behavior and not allowing them to change, which is like the opposite of restorative justice. And so to like, be like, oh, Dumbledore could never be a good guy because he fucked Grindelwald when he was young, not taking into account his, like, killing Grindelwald or imprisoning him or whatever and, like, leading the Order of the Phoenix twice and, like, all of the things that he does that demonstrate real growth and change is bad. And I think we should all try really hard not to do that because I think we have to allow people to be like, I see the error of my ways and I am going to demonstrate that I see that by behaving dramatically differently and living a different life. I mean, I think there is a lot of, and I think there's a lot of undercurrent of atonement in a lot of Dumbledore's actions post him and Grindelwald's relationship. Right. You know, like Dumbledore has dedicated his life to at least trying to get rid of as many fascists as he can. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to, like, put it... I mean, there's still a lot of villainy in Dumbledore. Like, the way that he manipulates Harry's life is, like, very bad. Yeah. His Again, his morals are good, his methods are bad. But I want to put it on the record for anyone who's curious. If tomorrow J.K. Rowling woke up and was like, I'm going to tweet about how fucking wrong I've been and how sorry I am and like start defending trans people and being like, I'm going to debunk every single bad thing that I've said and like write a whole new essay about how I was completely wrong and start like giving my money to trans organizations, I will be at the front of the line to mail her thank you letters and like publicly be like, this is rad. You are doing a great job. Mm -hmm. Because we need to be celebrating changed behavior instead of being like, you did something bad. Very, very, even if it's very, very bad, we need, like, when people model change, that needs to be something that we're like, I am putting so much time and energy into celebrating your modeling of change here. Because that's what inspires people to, like, do the same, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I think, I think this is actually also just like a really interesting conversation because I was actually also thinking about the way that canceling and uh, canceled is used and just sort of also thinking about it in like so many things that people are like, it's internet language, like canceling started, came out of AAVE for just like, Mm As sort of a like in language to be like not someone that you want to fuck with that I want to fuck with and has now grown into this like sort of larger thing that in a lot of ways is just like another word for accountability <laughs> or like the consequences of your actions but has also become this sort of like this sort of buzzword that is like means so many different things to so many different people right you know and I don't know I feel like in some ways, it's kind of one of the... Th- it's, in some ways, it feels like what happens when a lot of uh, phrases or words from AAV get co-opted by white people. And then it's sort of like... It's like sort of like yas, like completely losing any kind of meaning or relevancy because white people just have overused it. I feel like people are using cancel when it's like, I think you actually mean any number of words like consequences for your actions. Right. It's like different than being like, I literally don't want to 
I just want you to not ever have to work again, Josh Whedon, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. It's also something I've just been thinking about, I guess. Yeah, no. And I don't know, maybe you watched the same thing. Michael Hobbs made a really good video about, like, what the fuck is cancel culture and, like, tracing it back to, like, its first uses in media and sort of, like, tracking it from, their, like, a show that it was, I think it was a show or a movie. I don't remember. It was, like, it was in this one mentioned in this one show where like a woman is just like breaking up with her boyfriend and is like you're canceled like never talk to me again and then it was like in one song like two years later and then it was like and then it was everywhere um and i'll link to the video in the show notes because it's really good yeah i actually have not watched it but i keep forgetting he has a youtube and not subscribing to it (laughs) so yeah i think there's a lot of conversation here, but I think that we need to all be really careful to not be like, oh, Dumbledore is canceled because of something that he did in his 20s when he has like over 100 years of evidence. <laughs> That's not the person that he is anymore. And those are not beliefs that he holds. Yeah. So yeah, there are plenty of reasons for you to despise adult Dumbledore, like his treatment of orphaned Harry <laughs> Yeah, is I think really just... <laughs> You could look at that canonically and be like, wow, that was a shitty ass thing to do to this child. Yeah. Like, uh, trolley problem much, Dumbledore. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. <laughs> was... Welcome to the education section. <laughs> Where we're also educating one another. <laughs> it's true. We're doing a great job. Um,. It's your turn. All right. Uh, I only have this one thing, which is the fact that Crumb told Hermione that he likes Hogwarts better mm. must mean that Durmstrang must be worse than Hogwarts, which is, sounds just like maybe a place you shouldn't send children to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where you know, it's cold. It's so cold that their uniforms involve wearing fur inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, actual scammer Kakaroff is your headmaster. Um, I don't know. For some reason in my brain, I assumed that they were going to classes with the Hogwarts students, but I guess they're not. No, I think the the kids from the other schools are just being like tutored by their headmasters. Yeah, Kakaroff does not seem like a person who's super interested in being a teacher. <laughs> so I no. don't know how well that's going. And I don't know, it just made me feel kind of bad for the Durmstrang students. Very. Yeah, it sounds like a terrible school. Yeah, and even, this is coming from Crum, who, as an international Quidditch star, you know is getting, he's getting the most preferential treatment. Probably, oh, yeah, definitely. Because he's an international Quidditch star. Even he's still like, oh, no, Hogwarts is way cooler. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my dude, really? <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> Oof. <laughs> Welcome to the politics section, where we talk about things that are fucked up. So we got some big, some big goblin stuff to talk about in this chapter. We have some goblins sitting in a shadowy corner looking menacing with their dark, slanting eyes. Yeah, I, I probably should look this up, but I kept, I kept just coming back to the part where like Ludo is complaining about the goblins not speaking English and how he doesn't speak their language which is called gobbledygook which is Mm -hmm. also kind of like this feels uncomfortable (laughs) in a way that i really cannot really well uh articulate and yeah it's just very it's kind of it just the whole thing feels kind of gross i don't know the origin of that now sorry so it says that the first use was um, in 1944 by a Texas politician Uh-oh. referring to the over-involved pompous talk of officialdom. Oh, okay. So... I thought it was going to be about immigrants, and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> no. He says he made it up in imitation of a turkey noise. This. <laughs> He sent out a memo banning gobbledygook language and mock threatening that said anyone using the words activation or implementation will be shot. I like how it's, <laughs> I feel like if 
if you had told me someone said that this year, I'd be like, all right, that makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if activation and implementation were like the utilize of 1944, where it's like this word, the, you have alternatives to these words that aren't as like yeah. uh, over overinflated and whatever, whatever that dude said. <laughs> anyway, so apparently it's not offensive. It's a turkey sound, which is nice. But yeah, I guess the scene with Ludo just sort of feels like every like a scene in so many terrible action movies where it's like the bad guys don't speak English and they're just in suits like speaking Spanish or Arabic or right or Russian and pretty clearly Russian because he says Bladvak, which is very like Germanic language. Yeah. And it just feels like and I. I feel like in that regard, that feels just pretty gross. Oh, totally. It's very, very gross. I was just checking if, like, the word gobbledygook in in its origin was an offensive word all by itself. Um, He also says that the Bulgarians used a sign language another human could recognize. And it's like, I bet there are lots of humans who can recognize goblin sign language um, and goblin language at it's just the ones who have bothered to learn it, Ludo Pac-Man. What the fuck? Yeah. I, I actually have in my notes that Ludo is the worst kind of white dude. <laughs> so like... I can definitely think of way worse kinds of white dudes than Ludo Bagman. This is fair. But I'm like, you did this to yourself and you can't, like... Ludo, these goblins are smarter than you. <laughs> <laughs> and... I can't even say I can't even blame him for not paying attention in class because he was probably also taught by Ben. So he, why? So what would he even know about like all of the Goblin Wars <laughs> and how apparently goblins can are the only thing that can like really intimidate a, a witch? Right. So it's like, oh, it's fine. I'll just rip you off of your money. It's like they're gonna murder you too. Yeah, I bet he's super used to being able to just like himbo his way out of his gambling situations. Yeah. It's not good. Yeah. I have more goblins stuff. You too. Um, I just have in general the goblins. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's talk about it. And uh just sort of my It just seems like it would be out of all of the non human magical people for you to be aware of, it seems like goblins should be the ones that you're like, Oh, I know not to fuck with them because they will bring their magical swords and chop a fucking witch into pieces, you know? And that Harry and Ron are like, we don't know shit about goblins. And I'm like, I think you should know about this. They should, they should, they should, which is an education point because they should have a teacher that makes learning engaging. Yeah. It's like, I don't know how much, how good a wand's going to be against goblin made pickaxe. Is that the word that, that, uh, that Ludo knows, yeah. Ludo knows his pickaxe. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like you're going to lose. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm like, this seems like pertinent information for you to have. It's sort of like, what do you do if you're hiking and you see a grizzly bear? You know, you should have bear mace uh, kind of information, kind of. But like, I mean... And I'm not trying to say that to like dehumanize the goblins who obviously, as Hermione says, are pretty smart. But you should, I feel like witches should be aware about how to interact with goblins in a way that's not going to cause another war. Yes. I don't know. Maybe my, maybe my thoughts are getting kind of garbled. I actually don't know if I'm making any sense. I just feel like this is a subject that we need to like interact with really gently, especially because like goblins are just like so heavily coded as jewish people yeah so like i think it's hard to talk about them in terms of like oh witches should know to be careful because i think that that like continues i think okay what if we start again and use the framing of like cultural differences and like the fact that witch's refusal to like acknowledge the legitimacy of like the goblins culture has created all of these wars and like they need to be more aware of that 
Yeah, why don't they teach gobbledygook at Hogwarts? Out of out of all of the not human magical peoples that we get, it seems like goblins are going to be the people that witches are interacting with the most. That's you know? such a good point. Like everyone else that we know, like werewolves, mermaids, giants, archers, Jesus, uh, centaurs, are all like, yeah, we keep to ourselves sort of on the edges of society, essentially. And it seems like they all speak English also. Yeah, but, you know, goblins are up in the world, you know? It it just, it seems very uh, fucked up that besides learning about goblin wars, there's not any kind of like, here's more about goblin culture and society. Yeah, I think, like, it's not only a problem that, like, Bins is a bad teacher. It's such a huge problem that Bins clearly has, like, a vendetta against goblins because there should be the most emphasis on here's how these wars were started and here's how they can be avoided in the future. Mm. And, like... People should be add like what is Hermione says like usually they would talk to like the Department for Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures and it's like weird yeah. and maybe that should not be the case like yeah shouldn't there be a specific someone who is like I am the Goblin Witch liaison yes. A witch and a goblin like it's so fucking weird that they're like you can run our banks. And, like, make things for us, but we have you, like, talking to the same people that, like, control dragon populations or, like, bow truckles, you know? Which, rather you said that out loud, now that you said that out loud is, like, extra fucked up. Like, leaning hard on the, like, anti-Semitism right there. It's like, the only job you can get is at a bank. And it's like, right. Mm, ooh, oh, the optics of that. Yeah, exactly. And then just Ludo trying to, as you say, himbo his way out of his debt. It's like, oh, oh, honey, you don't even, you have no idea what you're doing. And I feel like whatever you're doing is deeply offensive to them. Right, right. Because as we learn in book seven, Goblin culture has a different idea of systems of ownership. And, like, Ludo Bagman should know that. Like, he should have been taught that, especially, like, even if it was just, like, when he gets his job at the ministry, he has to do a fucking course in, you know, in, 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 like, working with goblins. It's like, you really need to know these very important cultural differences that will definitely make it so that if you have... A gambling debt you're not going to be able to just be like sorry like i'm just a goofy guy <laughs> yeah but i mean he himboed his way out of like going to prison for like selling information to death eaters like this is a man who is very used to being able to be like i'm just i'm just a goofball like this sort of it actually kind of reminds me of there's this joke in the show 30 Rock about when you're like really, really hot. It's sort of like you're kind of you're like sort of in a bubble because people treat you differently when you're like really hot. And I mm-hmm. think that's sort of what's happening with Ludo where he's just like used to people being like, oh, look at your like cute face and you're like baby blue eyes and you're just like, oh, I'm just an athlete kind of vibe. And they're like, it's fine, whatever. And he's finally hit a point where it's like, it's not fine. And if he knew anything about goblins, maybe there would be a way, a culturally appropriate way for him to himbo his way out of it. Yeah, or like set up a repayment plan, you know. Right. And this is why goblins don't trust witches. <laughs> like As they shouldn't. How how often does shit like this happen? I know it seems like it should be refreshing that there's non-human magical people who are, you know, who the witches just haven't extinguished you know essentially mm-hmm. but it's just like really unfortunate we like don't really get much about them right you know? and everything we get is just really unfortunate yeah so 
Um, I would love to use that to segue into this extremely unfortunate thing that Hermione says, where Ron's like, are you going to start advocating for goblins now? And she's like, oh, they don't need me to advocate for them. They're not like house elves who never stick up for themselves. Yeah, I had that little bit highlighted also. It's like, there are bigger factors at work here. (laughs) Right. It's very victim blamey. Yeah, and I think this is where we start to see Hermione's justified crusade to get rights to the house elves sort of start to fall apart, mostly on, I would I would say, this, the scoundrels being very terrible at following through with the metaphor. <laughs> yep. So. My last thing is this weird line from Rita, like, being shitty to Hermione about her hair. It um i was like what like i know she's like not a good person and stuff but that felt i don't know unexpected and like particularly i don't know it just felt really weird to have her like shaming another woman about her appearance you know Mm -hmm. and it's like we're never given the impression i mean not that harry is paying any attention that like Hermione, like, doesn't do anything with her hair. It's just super curly. <laughs> right. You know? And it's just like, ooh. That is a weird line. You're right. Yeah. All right. Let's have a uh, total tonal shift. Welcome to Advertisements, where we ask you for money and make you laugh. Are you the type of person who searches for fairy rings in hopes of being whisked away by the fae? Did you spend your childhood wishing for your Hogwarts letter? Do you dream of finding a portal to Narnia or Fillory in the back of every grandfather clock? If so, we have good news for you. Hashtag Ruthless Patreon is a magical land full of weird queer magic and equally weird queer magical people. Once you pass through the portal, you will immediately have access to things like our Discord, the opportunity to watch movies with us, access to our Buffy podcast, and so, so much more. Best of all, this magical realm will never make you fight an ancient war, and you can come and go as much as you please without ever finding that centuries have passed while you were away. Don't delay. You can find the portal right now at patreon.com slash thegailyprophet. I love it. It's so good. Thank you. Okay, so now before we get to the funny ad, we have an actual ad gasp for you. Because we're always going to be transparent with you folks about everything, we are not going to make money from this ad. We are trading shoutouts with another podcast. We think they're genuinely cool. We did a lot of research before agreeing to do the shoutout trade. And with that as our preamble, Jesse's going to tell you about the, the cool podcast. Plan Podcast is a really cool Shakespeare audio drama. So there is, they have like King Lear and like Macbeth and A Midsummer's Night Dream with a like full audio cast of people who are famous on Broadway and some queer famous folks like Manila Luzon. I'm particularly excited about the Macbeth one as one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. So should uh, definitely at least check that out. Yeah, it's almost all people of color, I think. And like, from my light Instagram stalking that I did, at least like a third of these folks are queer. Oh yeah, they're they're king. So their most recent one is for King Lear, and that is a like it's like an all black people cast. So nice. Yeah, and I feel like the overlap of queer nerds who like literature and who like podcast is a giant oval for our, <laughs> our listeners. So you should you should check it out. It's pretty cool. Yep. You can listen to Play On Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts, and please also check out our show notes for links about all of their rad stuff. <clears throat> Next up, Should I Say That is the new best-selling self-help book from renowned author and noted Scorpio, Lark Malachi Gray. <laughs> Using example scenarios, Gray leads readers gently through the process of figuring out the right times, places, and people to have those sensitive discussions with. If you've ever wondered what you should do if a child asks you invasive questions about your coworkers, or if it's a good idea to have deeply personal conversations with your date while surrounded by high schoolers, <laughs> this is the book for you. 
<laughs> so if you're ready to shut the heck up, get your copy of Should I Say That today. Oh my god. Welcome to Editorials, where we rant about stuff. I'd like to start off with another thing about Ludo Bagman, which is, it's no wonder Ludo is in debt because he is really bad at trying to rig this tournament in his favor. (laughs) Uh, I, I mean, I think I understand the impulse about, like, talking to Harry in person and, like, batting his eyelashes or whatever he does to like get himself in and out of situations but yeah i really think an anonymous letter would have been (laughs) oh that's so smart yeah like literally anything besides being in a crowded bar (laughs) where anyone could overhear you (laughs) to be like do you need any help there i can give you some help yeah oh an an anonymous letter would have been so smart because then harry can't refuse the advice either you know you've already you can't unread it (laughs) right exactly but yeah i mean as we've established ludo is not very smart no yeah uh continuing to continue on bagman (laughs) i just wrote get it together he just he's so nervous and he so he just like gives Harry all of this information. He's like, uh, they're looking for Barty. And then it's like, fuck, now I have to talk about this really sensitive situation. And instead of being like, oh, that's actually none of your business, bye. He's like, uh, I don't know where he is. Actually, he might, uh, I don't know. And then Harry's like, what about Bertha? And he's like, mm, let me tell you all about that too. <laughs> it's like, sir, come on. Like, you really, really need to rein it in right now. It's like, you have no poker face, Ludo. How how do you have, like, you should not have developed a gambling app. Oh, truly. Yeah, it's a good thing his thing isn't something like poker. Yeah. Or whatever the witching world version of poker would be. Yeah. Um, I would like to get into, the. this is the chapter, this, like, this part of the chapters where we get the infamous Albafor Dumbledore and his inappropriate goat charms, which I will never... I will never not believe is something sexual. Like, I think maybe even as a child, I'm like, what? (laughs) Yeah, there's not a lot of ways to read any of the information that we get about Aberforth and the goats. I actually did some research on this. I don't want to, like, waylay your point. So if you have more to say, please say it. No, you can talk about when a child asked JKR about it. I'm going to talk about when an interviewer asked her about it. Okay. But All please right. talk about the child question. Um, yeah. So it's that. And normally I would not bring out of canon stuff to this, but I read a transcript sometime of like, I don't remember, like after the series ended where Scoundrel JKR was um, answering questions and some child asked her about what the inappropriate charms were. And she's like, How old are you? And the kid is like, Eight, I think. Yeah, eight. And it's just like, and then she's like, oh, yeah, it was making their corns curly or whatever. And I'm like, the fact that you had to ask how old this child is means that also in your brain, you're like, Albaforth was giving those goats bigger dicks or something. I don't know. So, yes, that's what I, I read two different things. So the whole quote is she said he was making a goat that's easy to keep clean with curly horns. And then went on to say, it's a joke that works on a couple levels. And then never has she clarified what the levels are. And usually jokes that work on multiple levels, people are like, I understand what the levels are. But I, <laughs> it's like curly horns. Is that so it's like easier to like hold on to the horns while you're fucking the goat? Is that what that means? Because I thought about this for like 20 minutes today that I didn't want to be thinking about it. <laughs> And that's the only thing that I could come up with. Like, why keep it clean with curly horns to me is just like, that's something for you to hold on to when you're bracing yourself to fuck a goat. Um, If any of our UK listeners, if this is something that like, it's like this specific cultural reference that you would like to inform us about. I read articles. I watched (laughs) YouTube videos. No one knows. There are 
at least 10 Aberforth <laughs> slash goat. <gasps> what is the word? Um, exclu- not exclusive. Whatever the highest rating on AO3 is. Oh, you have to be like, yeah, explicit. It's E-rated, yeah. Yeah. Um, stories about Aberforth fucking goats. Oh, you <laughs> She also apparently, like, a child wrote her a letter being like, what is this? And she was like, I just think it's funny that he has a goat fetish. And was like, it's nothing sinister or something like that. And I'm like, what do you think the word fetish means? What's happening? And she just, she was like, I think it's funny. I really like it. And you're like, Because it's a weird what? sex joke that you just won't own up to. Like, what... What are people going to do? Stop buying your books? Like, just say it's a sex joke. Just say that Albaforth is fucking the goats. Because we all, that's, that's what we're all, that's what we're all thinking, unfortunately. It's so weird. And she, like, keeps coming back to it. I'm just, like, shaking <sighs> my head because I'm just, like, I don't know. And I think also, kind of now in retrospect, kind of a shitty thing to say about your family double star. Yeah. His relationship with Aberforth is very, very strange. Yeah. All right. So Harry is looking for Hagrid. The line is, Harry kept his eyes skinned all the way to Hogsmeade. Is that really the line? In the U.S., we say we keep our eyes peeled. Apparently in the U.K., I'm guessing, you keep your eyes skinned. I never would have been like, is keep your eyes peeled for that thing a gross and horrifying thing to say? No, because I just hear it as a, as a figure of speech that we say all the time. But suddenly you read it with just just a, a synonym <laughs> for peel, like skinned and peeled mean the same thing. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's so horrifying. Yeah, that it really is. Now that you say that. <laughs> Yeah, none of those are great mental images if you're thinking of. No, and I want to know from from people from the UK and probably Australia if when you like watch American media and they're like keep your eyes peeled the first time you heard it were you like ah or was it just you were like oh no that's like the same as keep your eyes skinned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The English language is fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. What do you have next? Um, I just want to talk about Hagrid's dad for a minute. Um, and I know that I've been joking a lot about him being a sexual freak because I find it deeply amusing. But I think maybe Hagrid's dad is maybe possibly one of the better dad figures we get in this in this series. And I would say that because when Hagrid is like, "Oh, my dad was excited for me." that I was a witch and I'm like Hagrid's dad was totally ready to be in in this fucking bigoted witch society with his half giant potentially squib child and was gonna be like cool rad I'm into this and I'm like Neville should have gone to live with him seriously (laughs) if he hadn't died prematurely but I'm just like what a great dude you know yeah and I'm just like oh I just kind of like, because I feel like I often think about like what Neville's family did to him when they thought he was a squib. And I'm just like, that's fucked up. Yeah. And I think it does not sound like that her dad would be the kind of person to be like, gotta be magical, you know? It's like, oh, it might happen, whatever. You're still great. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, obviously, Hagrid herself has a lot of empathy. And it's just like, you know, I think it really does kind of throw into question about this sort of presumed bloodthirstiness of the giants. Oh, that's a great point. Like, Hagrid is, you know, clearly just so, so deeply empathetic to, like, Harry and the rest of the trio, and, like, to, like, as many dangerous animals as she can get her hands on. Yeah. You know? And, like, obviously, the way that people grow up and come out to be are a combination of, like, nature and nurture. But, like, it does not seem like whatever the things which you say about giants seems to be inherently part of like hardwired. I, I guess I, should, I could say, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like Hagrid is just super big <laughs> and apparently very hard to stun. <laughs> right. And 
I don't know. I I imagine if she's hanging out with like dangerous poisonous animals, probably really hard to poison. <laughs> I mm. would also imagine. Hagrid might just forget a little bit about how fragile the children in her care are because she is not that as fragile. <laughs> you know? Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. There's, I didn't watch the busy world of Richard Scary a lot as a child, but for some reason, this one moment from it has just like, stayed in my head forever mm-hmm. um and it's when they're i think they're playing basketball and hilda hilda the hippopotamus um grabs the ball and she pops it and she says sometimes i forget how big i am and everyone's like it's okay like get a new ball whatever because it's a busy world of richard scary it's like the most tender thing that's ever been made and I like I say it all the time about like my dogs, you know, because <laughs> pitbulls are very strong and they often don't know it. But I feel like that also very much applies to Hagrid in some ways, where like, you know, she's like the scroots aren't that dangerous or hippogriffs aren't that dangerous because like it takes a lot more, even just like it takes a lot more venom to kill someone who's twelve feet tall than someone who's like five foot five, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna think about that now whenever I sit in a chair and it breaks <laughs> <laughs> yes so which happens sometimes there's a lot of very shittily made chairs out there so yep that makes me very happy <laughs> okay um so just question hagrid says that dumbledore got her the gamekeeper job after her dad died and i was like did she have to like earn her tuition was she like working for her was this like a work study that she had to have you know i guess i assume that dumbledore got her the job once she got expelled and had nowhere to go that's what i had always thought previously but then oh maybe you're right like like maybe like maybe she was working there over the summer so she still has like some place to go you know yeah something like that yeah, I mean, maybe so, which I guess in the scheme of terrible things in this world, actually is not that terrible, especially given how much we know Hagrid loves um, magical creatures. True, and also, like, where else was she gonna go? Like, they sent fucking Tom Riddle home to this terrible orphanage every summer at the same time that Hagrid is at school, so they're probably, that was probably actually, like, best case scenario to be like no she has a job she has to stay here yeah that's what i i feel like i'm like what was the alternative and i'm like oh probably very send her back to the giants like i mean i don't know oh which ugh. which maybe yeah. dumbledore was like i see where this could potentially go and i'm gonna head this off right now <laughs> yeah. my last thing and it's very brief the first time in this entire series and potentially also the last where we get our trio's names said out of order, out of the typical order, Dumbledore says, Hermione, Harry, and Ron seem to still want to know you. It's literally the first time <laughs> so it has not said Harry, Ron, and Hermione. So there's that. <laughs> Welcome to the personal section where we talk about sexy stuff. And I just want to start off with that we get a half-naked Victor Crumb in this chapter. We do. We sure do. He is in some swimming trunks, swimming in the lake, but it's kind of like, what is more? (laughs) This is just, you know, more of more bisexual panic time for Ron. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I'm glad we get this, I'm glad we get this scene for everyone who appreciates how Victor Crumb looks. Mm-hmm. He's apparently too skinny for Harry's tastes. <laughs> <laughs> and my second thing is that we mentioned last chapter that, you know, Hagrid, Hagrid is in a rom-com journey and she's like the two thirds of the way through where like there's been this this challenge about everyone finding out that she's half giant and like her feeling like really low about herself. But now she's like bouncing back to be like, you know what? That's right. I am not ashamed about who I am. 
I'm mm-hmm. not trying to go around telling people I have big bones. It's just like, that's right, Ingrid. Yep. You tell her. You are a strong, independent woman. <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh. I just love that. I just love this part for her in her, in her rom-com journey. But being like, yeah, that's where I'm the shit. <laughs> yes. It's like, that's right. It is just that part of the end of the chapter, like right in the feels, man. Really I know, and, and yeah, especially when she's like, "You gotta, you gotta win it." People like us, Harry. He's like, "Oh no, the guilt." <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> At least it was the thing that got Harry to be like, "Oh, I guess I better fucking listen to Cedric's hint." Gah, finally. Yeah, I know. Welcome to the health and science section where we talk about magic and science and magical science. All right. So as I just mentioned, the lake isn't frozen. It is January in (laughs) North Scotland. It is freezing cold. So I want to put forth a hypothesis that this lake is in fact a saltwater lake and not a freshwater lake. Partly because, for those of you who don't know, the state that I live in is literally surrounded by giant lakes and they sometimes don't totally freeze, but you can, they, there are parts of large chunks of it that will freeze solid, mm-hmm. you know? And this is a much, much smaller lake than a great lake. And it should presumably be frozen solid, have been frozen solid since probably November. There should be kids ice skating out on this lake right now, mm-hmm. but it's not, there's a big ass boat in it. And as we find out, Two chapters from now, an entire colony of people living at the bottom of it. Right. So that sort of combined with the fact that there are no freshwater giant squids. And in fact, all of our mermaid lore is about mermaids being in the ocean. has really brought me to think that this is just a saltwater lake, which which happens. Because I, I like really just don't know like why this lake isn't frozen. <laughs> it, the size of it should, it should be frozen solid. Yeah, I agree. Canon accepted. Thank you. Mm-hmm. If there is mention at some point of the lake being frozen, then I guess we'll say that they did a charm because of the second task. But I don't think we ever get a mention of it being frozen. So I'm, I think saltwater makes the most sense, especially considering the mermaids and the squid. Yeah. And we can talk about this more once we get into more of the health and signs of the second task and all of the living things that we find out are underneath the water. Mm-hmm. Yep. So my last thing is very silly, um, is that I think that this uh, swimming scene with Victor Crumb is more evidence that he is part Vila mm-hmm. because I do not buy Hermione's excuse like, oh, like where he's from. It's so much colder. This must feel warm to him. It, that is still a freezing ass cold lake. Yeah. This is like him swimming in the ocean in January in North Scotland. And I'm like. Yeah, it's like instant hypothermia. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you have to be extra magical to be able to just put on some... Sw- like, he's not even wearing, a, like, a, a magical wetsuit. He's wearing some swim trunks. Yeah. He's just, like, diving on in. I'm like, do you secretly have, like, a layer of down? Like, what is going on? None of this makes sense to me. Yeah. Oh, I love this. Especially, I love thinking about Vila being, like, part penguin. Like, <laughs> or or duck, I think was or, kind of, or duck. This is what I was thinking. I mean, you know, maybe they're different kind of bird velas. Like, you know, Flora is definitely giving off swan. Swan. I almost said secretary bird. Also, something like beautiful, but also pretty vicious. And mm. Victor Crumb is definitely giving off like loon, like duck. Um, <laughs> I love that. <sighs> That's great. I mean, that canon I accepted long ago, but <laughs> re-upping the acceptance of uh, Vila Victor Crumb. Okay. Ugh. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of The Gaily Prophet. This podcast and our other podcast, Escape from Reality, where we talk about the Simon Snow trilogy by Rainbow Rowell, are both creations of Hashtag Ruthless Productions and are produced, mixed, and edited by me. Um, if you would like to support us in some cash-free ways, you should definitely tell people about this podcast. You can IRL or online. Uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Gaily Prophet. If you want to tag us in anything, 
or tell people about us and uh or share or share some of the things the lovely things on instagram that we have you can also uh leave us a review on itunes we read everyone and they make us very happy and it helps people find out how good we are and how they should listen to us (laughs) if you do want to support us financially you can do that in a variety of ways such as joining our patreon uh which is the most consistent way but if you want to do a one-time thing we do accept donations on our website and you can also buy our merch which is on our website which is hashtag ruthless.com yeah just you can uh, get some get some merch just in time in time for pride month (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and you can find me on the internet on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit and on Instagram at Life in Detroit. I can be found on the internet on Instagram at Lark Malachi or on my website, which is LarkMalachi.com. And if you want to pre-order my tarot deck, you can do that in our shop, our podcast shop. All right. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. The music in our intro is by Kevin McLeod. And until next time. Ugh, Cedric's advice, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) 